Good morning. God is good, amen? amen. Come on, church. God is good, amen? amen? He's good to us this morning. I invite you to turn to me to John chapter 4. It's the opening text this morning. John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14 is the opening text. You know, I was really praying about the next series I was going to do, and Joe's handing this out at this time. But this is a series I decided to do. It's called um, The Red Paper That's Been Handed Out. And um, Joe, maybe you can have Joe help you. Or you're almost done. Look, it's called Loving You as God Loves You. And it's called, entitled Relationships God's Way. And so we'll be looking at, this is only actually half of them. It goes the next series, um, next quarter. But I just want to give you a little taste of what's going to happen. And it tells the different churches. So the first one is filling the emotional void, sexual integrity for women. That's today's sermon. And then the next one is Eyeless in Gaza, sexual integrity for men. Actually, it was um, one per family. Hopefully, everyone got to get one. Um, and then also calling out affections, why relationships go bad, and then finding your soul mate. And so we'll be talking about these subjects from the Word of God and follow God's way and how relationships should be done because relationships, actually family is the foundation of our churches, of our communities, and relationships are the foundation of our families. If you believe that, let me hear you say amen. amen. And relationships is very important, so much so. And I'm, I believe very strongly in the family, more important than even the ministry, more important than even the church. I believe in the local home family. That's important. Um, your church is only as good as your families. And so we, need, we believe strongly in, because we're made of families here, we believe strongly in family and the importance of family. So I felt I devote a whole series on the family from the Word of God. And you know, we live in an age today that is so distorted in how the family should be. And so that's a series that we'll be doing. It's going to be involving everyone, whether you're single, whether you're single looking for someone, or single who want to be that way the rest of your life. To those of you who are in relationships, boyfriends and girlfriends, to those of you who are married, who have a husband or a wife. And I believe this applies to all of us. Also, this morning we'll be looking at the sexual purity for women. You see, men and women both struggle with sexual integrity, but just in different ways. It is a Victorian myth that women do not struggle with sexual integrity and purity. Because for every man that commits adultery, there is always a woman. So let's get that out of our mind, first of all, that women are not sexually impure, immoral, or have the tendency to be that way. As we study the weaknesses of the different sexes, there is an overlap. And although this may not be your gender, you may sometimes see that there are certain aspects of their weakness that does apply to you, and it crosses over. I believe that this is happening because today there is a confusion of roles between men and women. Number one, and we will talk about that later. And number two, I believe the fact that 
there is a lot of sensuality and immorality has been overwhelmed our nation, not only overwhelmed our nation, but has even infiltrated our churches of today. And this morning I pray that may we be open to the Holy Spirit and His convictions as we study the Word of God together. Let us pray. Father, as your word is open, we humbly kneel before it and we humbly ask for your guidance and help us, Lord, to understand it. We ask humbly in the name of Jesus. Amen. The woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 13. John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. What did Jesus offer the Samaritan woman at the well? Bible says in 13 and 14, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. You remember this woman was at the well and Jesus asked her for water and then he said, But whoever drink of this water, you're going to thirst again. But he said, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You see, Jesus saw this woman, and she was at the well, and playing a bantering spirit, and he saw this woman, but Jesus saw that this woman's well was empty. This woman's well was empty. He then offered her water from a well that would never run dry, and that would fill her up, that she would be satisfied. What was the woman's response to this offer? Verse 15. Let's see what the Bible has to say. Let's believe what the Bible has to say this morning. The Bible says in 15, The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Give me this water. This woman yearned for what he had to offer. She was tired of always feeling empty. She wanted something different than what she was currently experiencing, something that would satisfy the deep longings of her emotional hungers. But before she was to receive this fulfillment, what did Jesus do first before she experienced full fulfillment? Look at verse 16 to 18. The Bible says, Jesus said unto her, Go, call your what? Husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, You have well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom you have now is not your husband, and that thou said thou truly. I want you to notice that before this woman could experience truly true satisfaction and fulfillment in Christ, she first had to deal with her sexual and emotional integrity first. And beloved, this morning, before, in order for us to be truly satisfied in Christ, either in our life or relationships, we first need to deal with our past and present sexual integrity and purity. 
You see, this woman was fighting a battle she didn't understand. Even though she had tried many relationships, she had had five husbands, she had had five divorces, and now the man she was living with, she was just shacking up with him. She felt that she was, though she was still with these men, she still felt that she was still missing something in her life that she just couldn't put her finger on. The problem was that she didn't understand Satan's strategy of attack against her, especially as a woman. To better understand that attack, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. See, today, women need to understand Satan's plan of attack against them. And again, this overlaps. You're going to find out men that the thing that's going to overlap and impress you this morning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. We're going back 6,000 years to the first relationship that ever existed, Adam and Eve. What happened in the Garden of Eden? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? They were not supposed to eat of this fruit of this tree. And Satan asked the question. Now, the serpent spoke. Now, can animals speak in real life? Can animals speak? No. So here we have it in the Garden of Eden, the first false reality. Here was the first unrealistic play or movie that ever existed. So the first line of attack that Satan used was a false medium. We're going to come back to that later. The second line of attack that Satan did against the woman, Eve, was that he was to put inside Eve's mind a spirit of questioning. A questioning of her current situation. He did those two things. He first used a false medium. Then he came with a spirit of questioning her current situation. That's what she did. What happened next? Well, let's see how strong Eve was. Look at verses 2 and 3. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you what? Die. What was Eve's response? You see, Eve believed strongly in her core values and beliefs. She was satisfied with everything she had. She was satisfied with her God. She was satisfied with her life, with her husband, with her emotional needs, with her future. She was truly content with her current situation. I want you to notice the first, a few things. First of all, Satan didn't just come up to Eve and say, Here, Eve. This is a good fruit. It looks attractive. Eat this fruit. What do you think Eve would have done if Satan did that and came up to her with that fruit? How many think Eve would actually eat that fruit if Satan did that? No. So first of all, Eve, if Satan was to do that, Eve would not have eaten of it. Secondly, before Eve talked to the serpent, she was not attracted to the forbidden fruit. True, right? Before she talked, she saw the fruit. That's nice looking, but she kept on walking by. But when she saw 
Satan, see, Satan had to do something. Satan had to do something with her mind. He had to deceive her to make the forbidden fruit look attractive, right? So he had the forbidden fruit. She walked by, she sees the fruit, she keeps walking by. Satan had to get into her mind and do some kind of change process in her mind to get her to be attracted to the forbidden fruit. What was the third thing Satan did to attack her core values and her contentment? Look at verse 4 and 5. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as what? God's. Knowing good and evil. So Satan says, Eve, if you eat this fruit, you're going to be as God's. Better than what you currently are. You see, after Satan got Eve to question her situation, he then got her to become dissatisfied. She started to entertain a new idea that she had never heard before. Satan tempted her to feel that she wasn't getting what she deserved. That she deserved better and that she was missing out on something better in life. She deserved more than her current situation. She became dissatisfied her situation and that she's missing out on something better out there in life. There's something out there better for me. So you see, Satan's main goal was to create within a woman a dissatisfaction or desire for something more than what she currently had. And he believed the lie. He felt that she was actually missing out on something and thus became dissatisfied with her current situation. Do you see that, beloved? What did she do next? Well, let's look at verse 6. What's the, the fourth thing that happened? Look at verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, looked good physically, be good, that was pleasant to the eyes, the understanding, which is mentally, and a tree desired to make one wise with spiritual knowledge, spiritually, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. When she saw that the fruit would make her physically, would benefit her physically, mentally, or spiritually, and satisfy the physical, mental, and spiritual longings of her heart, she believed, she then took of the forbidden fruit and she ate of it. Let's recap the sequence of Satan's attacks. Number one, Satan used an unrealistic medium, first of all, false reality, as a tool to get Eve to sin. Number two, Satan next put questioning in Eve's mind to question her present situation. Number three, Satan led Eve to believe that she was missing out on something better in life than what she currently had. He had deceived Eve to become dissatisfied in her heart with God, with her life, with her husband, and with her emotional needs. And lastly, Satan then came, after this had happened, with the temptation of making the forbidden fruit look attractive, such that she saw that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Are you following me? The difference between men and women. Can we hand those out, the, the vapors? Oh, it's out already? Okay. You see, beloved, men and women's battles are not the same. 
Satan attacks each one of us differently. Men's battles, we're going to discuss this in two weeks, men's battles are with the eyes and with the physical. While women's battles are with the ears and the emotional. That's why it is said that men give love to get sex and women give sex to give love out there in the world. You see, just like Eve, Satan knows today that if he would openly show women today, here's the forbidden fruit. If he was to do that today and ask them to eat it, most women would not just eat it, would not eat of the fruit. So let's just say a woman is married or has a boyfriend or is engaged and she's blissfully happily and extremely satisfied in her relationship that she's in. If Satan was to come to her and tempt her and say, here's a good, here's a nice handsome man, Here's a guy who, um, who will make you happy. And she just met him for the first time, and he came on strongly uh, on top of her and wanted to um, be with her. She would actually turn away, for the most part, most women today would turn away and be not interested in that man. Just like Eve, if Satan was a shoulder fruit, Eve turned away, modern Eve would turn away from that situation. But what Satan does is, with modern Eve, he does the same thing he did with Eve 6,000 years ago to do it to modern Eve's today. So how does he, Satan get her to fall? But the same way he got Eve to fall. His plan is to get women to become attracted to things that they were once not attracted to. They may at one time have been perfectly satisfied and content in the relationship and were not attracted to anyone else. But after Satan used these sequence of attacks, they ended up cheating on their loved one. Let's take a look at Satan's plan of attack for modern Eve today. First of all, you have the purple papers here? Okay. First of all, Satan uses a serpent. He uses or talks an unrealistic medium of false reality to get her to be not be content with the current situation or relationship. Today he uses the false medium of fictional novels, soap operas, love stories, romantic comedies, and sitcoms as a me medium to spoil relationships, wreck marriages, and ruin sexual integrity. He uses these mediums to begin the process, listen beloved, of discontent in people's minds, in women's minds, of having them only wish and hope that their husband or boyfriend would be more like Richard Gere or Brad Pitt. Are you following me beloved this morning? Thank you. He uses a medium of creating in a woman's mind a desire for castle building. Now, what's castle building? Okay, there's a, you can imagine there's a castle. Now, every beautiful castle, in order for it to be truly beautiful, it needs a what? A prince. Prince. In order, but to fulfill that beautiful picture, just a castle with a beautiful prince, what does it really need? A princess. You know that movie Pretty Woman was just the ideal one of telling, actually goes into that story. Knight in shiny armor, saving her, right? So, castle building. Castle building is when a person fantasizes 
with the imaginations of the mind, wishing that some prince charming would sweep her off her feet and save her out of her current pitiful situation, satisfying her every need so that she could live happily, what? <laughs> Ever after. <laughs> okay, look at this quote here. We're going to the second one. You are not pure in heart and mind. This is from Ellen White, The Spirit of Prophecy. You have been injured by reading what? Love stories and romances. And your mind has been fascinated by impure thoughts. Your imagination has become corrupt until you seem to have no power to control your thoughts. Satan leads you captive as he pleases. Okay, look at the fourth one. You can read the first and third we take it home. But let's go over the fourth one. From what the Lord has shown me, the women of this class have had their imaginations perverted by, you can turn over, novel reading, daydreaming, and castle building, living in an imaginary world. They do not bring their own ideas down to the common, useful duties of life. They do not take up the light burdens which lie in their path and seek to make a happy, cheerful home for their husbands. They rest the whole weight upon them, their husbands, not bearing their own burden. They expect others, because of reading these novels and watching Hollywood's movies, soap operas, daytime, nighttime, they expect others to anticipate their wants and to do for them what they are at liberty find fault and to question as they please. These women have a love-sick sentimentalism, constantly thinking they are not appreciated, that their husbands do not give them all the attention they deserve. They imagine themselves martyrs. You know anyone like that? Don't raise your hand. You see... Within every woman, there is a natural tendency, a bent, a sinful nature that is bent towards sexual and emotional impurity. And what novels and love stories of Prince Charming, all that does in castle building is that it speeds up the process, the natural tendencies within us tenfold. And it pulls us in the imaginary world, and we're in that imaginary world watching a love story. We're, we're in our imaginary world. We love it. Unreality, like the serpent speaking. But once we come down out of it and you start watching, and you walk out of that movie, you're out of your home, you walk out into reality, how do you feel? Oh, reality. But that doesn't end there. It's brought into your marriage, your relationship, and even if you're single. What's the second thing Satan is? So first of all, false reality. Second thing Satan does, he puts a question in a woman's mind concerning her present situation. If she is with someone, she may start in her mind comparing her boyfriend or her husband with every other man. And whenever she does this, he always comes up short. She may question all that he is or all that he could be. She could reason in her mind that she desires for him all for his own good so that he can be different and better than what he is. Finally, she comes to the point of criticizing and complaining about him in almost every conversation that goes on. 
And with each comparison comes a greater and a deeper separation between the two of them. That's the second step. Third step, Satan then leads women to believe that they are missing out then on something better in life than what they currently have. He deceives modern Eves today to become disappointed and dissatisfied in her heart with God, with her life, with her husband, with her boyfriend, with being single, and with her emotional needs. Because of the comparing that was done of her husband or boyfriend, she now feels entitled to something better, to someone who can meet her needs the way that she deserves it to be met. Now that she is dissatisfied, then and only then, now Satan comes with the fourth way. Temptation of making the forbidden affair look attractive with either of the three temptations. First of all, physical, mental, spiritual, as we learn. First of all, he makes the forbidden fruit look good to eat. He brings someone to you, now that you're dissatisfied, who looks handsome or cute to you because he can make you laugh. Number two, secondly, he makes the forbidden fruit look pleasant to the mind. He brings someone to you who is caring and is able to satisfy your emotional needs. Number three, he makes a forbidden fruit desirable to make you wise. He brings someone to you who is very intellectually stimulating or spiritually knowledgeable and fulfilling. You see, Satan first gives you a false reality through movies and novels. He then compares you, he have you compare your other half with these movies and novels or just other people. He then has you become dissatisfied with your relationship and finally attacks you by bringing men into your life who have physical and mental spiritual qualities that you become attracted to. And then you fall. But it's at this point, beloved, that Satan deceives many Seventh-day Adventist Christian women. You see, Seventh-day Adventist Christians are too smart to commit adultery or fornication because they know that is wrong. Or we used to know that is wrong. So rather than committing a sexual affair, many women in the world, and especially in the church, end up committing an emotional affair instead. Are you following me, beloved? They think about how attractive their neighbor is because he's so funny, unlike their husband. They imagine how happy they would be with a co-worker who satisfies their emotional needs, unlike their fiancé. They dream about how things would be like with a classmate who is so intellectually stimulating or spiritually knowledgeable, unlike their boyfriend. You see, it is devastating to a relationship when one commits a sexual affair. But it is equally devastating to relationship and damaging and destroying when one commits an emotional affair, when the heart is wandering from the heart of the husband, when the husband, at the same time, the husband thinking that nothing is wrong and everything is going good. Are you following me, beloved? You see, God this morning is not only interested in our actions, but he's also interested in our thoughts and our feelings. Amen? Amen. 
Now, a temptation is not a sin. You know, you're going to get those thoughts in your mind of another man attracted or whatever. It's going to come in and you're going to be tempted. But it's when that temptation, you dwell upon it, you act it through. You rehearse in your mind, how would it be like if I meet so-and-so in a hallway and just, how would I say, what would I say to him because I'm like him when I'm attracted to him? Let's look at our thoughts and our feelings. Turn me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. God is not only interested in our actions, but he's interested in our thoughts and our feelings. Matthew 24, verse 37. How will the last days be like right before Jesus comes back again? How will it be like in Pune today? How will it be like in the world in 2007? How will it be like in these days? What did the Bible say it would be like? Matthew 24, verse 37. It's not what... It doesn't, it doesn't matter what I say, beloved, but it matters what the Bible has to say. Amen? Amen? Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. The Bible says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So the last days are going to be exactly how it used to be in the days of Noah. Now how was it in the days of Noah? Turn to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. In the first book, Genesis First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. How was it like in the days of Noah? The Bible says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every what? Imagination of the what? Thoughts of his heart was only what? Evil continually. You see, these people had only ima evil imaginations and evil thoughts. And we're told that our days would be like Noah. In other words, we're prophesied in the last days that our imaginations and our thoughts will be evil in the last days. We're told from the Word of God. Now, what does God want us to do with our imaginations and our thoughts. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. What does God want us to do with our imaginations and our thoughts? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, the Bible says, Casting down what? Imaginations. And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every what? Thought to the obedience of Christ. See, God is not only concerned with our actions, beloved, this morning. God is also concerned with our imaginations and our thoughts here this morning. You see, our character is the only thing we're going to take to heaven, right? And our character is based upon is, is what? Our what? Thoughts and our feelings. It didn't mention the actions. God is looking on the inside, beloved, that clear thoughts and feelings will produce clear actions, good actions. Therefore, we need to cast down our evil imaginations and take captive or capture our evil thoughts. When a castle building... Prince Charming Imagination comes to our mind, we should cast it down out of our mind. Amen? Amen. 
When a rendezvous thought of meeting someone that who we like comes into our mind, we need to capture that thought and bring it to the obedience of Jesus Christ. If you believe what I'm saying, let me hear you say amen. amen. Let's go back to the woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 28. John chapter 4, verse 28 and 29. Why did the Samaritan woman believe Jesus was the Christ? John chapter 4, verse 28 and 29. The Bible says, The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Because Jesus was the only one who not only knew what her emotional needs were, but was also able to fully satisfy them, she believed that he was the Christ. And today, beloved, Jesus is the only one who knows all of our needs, beloved, everything about you, and he's the only one who can fulfill all those disappointments in your life. No person on this earth, beloved, can satisfy you. Only Christ can truly satisfy you. Your will must first be filled with Christ before you can be truly fulfilled with someone else, whether you're single, whether you're married, or whether you're in a relationship. You must first have it filled, your will. My will must first be filled with Christ first before we can be truly satisfied in any relationship. There are a lot of people out there who long for something more than what they currently have. They may have had relationships. They may have even been in a current relationship. They may go from one relationship to another relationship to another relationship. But they are never satisfied. There is something missing in their lives that they just can't put their finger on this morning. But what they need to realize this morning is Jesus, that he's the only one who can fulfill the physical, mental, and spiritual, and emotional needs of their life. My greatest insurance, beloved, this morning, by God's grace, that my wife will not cheat on me it's not the fact that she made vows to me, which is good. It's not the fact that we're married, which is good. It's not the fact that she loves me, which is good. But my greatest assurance to me that my wife would not cheat on me with either sexual or an emotional affair is that she loves God and that she is surrendered to him. Amen? If she loves God, she will be obedient to him and not commit adultery. If she loves God, she will cast down wicked imaginations and take captive of every evil thought. If she loves God, she will not desire to get caught up in the lovesick sentimentalism found in Hollywood through the novels and through all the movies and the love movies that's out there that will only tend to destroy our marriage. If she didn't love God, if she didn't love God, I would have every reason in the world to be afraid that my wife would have an affair. 
with today's society and our churches falling very closely behind the world in the amount of divorces, adulteries, our church is no longer immune with the things that we're allowing us to watch, to listen to, and the things that we're doing. We're no longer secure and that there's been a lot of immorality, adultery, even in the churches. If she didn't have a love God, she would commit an affair. If not a sexual one, then surely an emotional affair. In other words, beloved, without Christ in your life and the life of your spouse, you will never truly be happy this morning. Amen? At the cross, when the woman at the well was drinking the water, wanted the water, at the cross, when Jesus died, when the soldier poked his side out came blood and what? Fountain of water out of his side. This water that came out of Jesus' side is for all of us who are thirsty and longing for the physical, mental, and spiritual satisfaction that we long for. And you can only drink, drink this water if you go to the cross of Calvary. You must first behold the unselfishness of Christ on the cross of Calvary. And when you see his unselfishness, it will humble you. And then you will kneel before the foot of the cross in humility and offer your life to Jesus Christ. It's only then that you'll be truly satisfied in your life, your future, your emotional needs, your husband, your boyfriend, or your choice to be single. God wants us to be sexually pure, not only in our actions, but on our imaginations and also in our thoughts. And this can only happen if we make some commitments to him this morning. It is because he loves you and died for you this morning that your love for him will awaken within you and inspire you and me to obey this morning. So this morning I have some challenges and covenants that I'd like to challenge you this morning to make before God. You can look at this right now. Covenant challenges. And it's based upon his promises to us, God's promises to us. Number one. Covenant to give your life to Jesus Christ every day of your life. Amen? You know, the Bible says our covenants, our promises are like what? Ropes of sand. Can you make a rope out of sand? If we make our promises out of my own strength and my strong will, we're going to fail. But the new covenant is promises based upon God's promises, based upon in Hebrews chapter 8, better promises for us, right? And His promises, His word will never fail. He makes a promise, He will keep it. Say, Lord, I can't do this, but you can help me to do this. I, I can't even give my life to you, but help me to give my life to you every single day. Man, I make that covenant with you, Lord. Number two, covenant to stop reading all romance novels and from watching all soap operas, daytime and nighttime, Romantic movies, love stories, and romance comedy sitcoms. Your relationship will explode and get way better. No more comparing. You know the Bible says about comparing ourselves with one another? The Bible says that comparing themselves with themselves is not what? Wise. It's not wise to compare yourselves with other people. It's not wise to compare your boyfriend with someone else. It's not wise to compare your husband with someone else. Satan, Satan deceived Eve back in the Garden of Eve. He deceives many modern Eves with comparing the husbands or boyfriends 
with other men. Even wherever you may be, your workplace, the church, wherever it may be. Third, covenant to cast down your impure daydreaming and castle-building imaginations. Really, that thought comes where, you know, you want to have that, you know, you're not satisfied with your relationship, and then you wish, oh, I wish I would be like married to that person. I wonder how it would be like with that man, and how would it be like if he just take me out of my pitiful situation and make me happy, and then I enjoy it. Has, had his lady t- after this sermon in Pornicar last week. He said, you know, I have this problem where I meet a man attracted to him for the first time. The first time I meet him, I'm already thinking how I'd be like married to him already. My wife said to me that, you know, either they'll be laughing it off when you preach to the women or they'll be very silent. <laughs> Number four, covenant to capture your rehearsed scenario thoughts and bring them to the obedience of Christ. We want to think about, oh, what would it be like if I met that person at a certain place and we were talking a certain way and things happened? You know, when you rehearse those thoughts and you actually slip and think, how would it be like to sleep with that person? If that event was ever to happen, guess what would happen? You actually act out what you actually rehearsed in your mind. Covenant to capture it. Take it captive, grab it, and take it to the obedience of Christ and surrender it to Him. Five, Covenant. You know, and they train you from young kids and um, whatever, those love stories and, you know, the castle building, Cinderella and stuff. They train you from young. And then when you're high school, the girls are always castle building and daydreaming and thinking about how it would be like in that, being with that boy and everything. Number five. Covenant to escape from your imaginary world because it's not realistic, beloved. It only creates problems. It's a false reality. It's not really true. A serpent does not speak. Beloved, this morning, in order for relationships to work, you must not only be physically pure, but mentally and spiritually pure as well. You must, by the grace of God, not allow anything to come between you and the one that you made that promise to, to comfort, to honor, to cherish, in sickness and in health, in prosperity or adversity, and forsaking all others, keep yourself only unto Him, sexually and emotionally so long as you both shall live.